Well, good morning, and happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We'll get them all out of the way. It is so good to be with you all this morning. Um, We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, obviously we're switching things around because, again, um, I like to. Uh, Remember last week I said I love change. It was a foreshadowing of things to come, Uh, hence the face also. Some of y'all are hurtful. Hannah. Others are supportive. I don't care. It'll be gone tomorrow. Um, You know, Christmas, right around the corner. Uh, Everybody's got things that they wish for. Everybody's got things that they're hoping to get. Um, Growing up, when I was like in high school, early college years, I wanted a Nissan GTR. If you don't know what that is, that is a sports car, kind of like the Ford Mustang, the Chevy Camaro, Corvette, Nissan's version of that. Nissan GTR, coolest car in the world in my opinion. I would love to get it. And so what I ended up actually doing is I went out and I bought one. Um, I I bought it. I I was able to drive it around and everything. I thought it was so cool. Loved it. Had it. Still have it to this day. Actually, Heather drove it to the church for me this morning. And, um, you know, on a pastor's salary, $78,000 car. Little difficult, but I got it for you right here. My Nissan GTR. I love this car. Heather was like, are you going to go up there and play with your car now? Yes, I am. So going to zoom it around up here for you. But no, this, and here's the deal. I'll tell you what, I'll sell you this car. I mean, everything's got a price. I will sell you my Nissan GTR for $75,000. No takers. And I know what you're probably thinking, Andy, you're dumb. You're right. That's dumb. Almost as dumb as somebody who would actually take me up on this offer, see this beautiful, majestic, been played by with Andy Peterman car that you could get for a steal. And somebody falling for that, being like, that's not really the real deal. You're right, it's a model of it. It's a shadow of it. I would almost say it's almost as dumb as the person who claims Jesus as their savior, but yet says, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to strive to keep the law so that I can earn God's favor. It's almost that dumb. That when we get to heaven and we are in front of God, we're not going to bring a GTR, but we're going to bring our works, our accolades, our achievements, and we're going to be like, God, look at what I did for you. And God's going to be like, that did not earn your favor. Galatians chapter 3 verse 3 Paul is writing about the Galatians because there have been uh, people following Paul as he went to the church in Galatia, and he has told them, salvation is in Jesus alone. And there have been people who have followed him up, and they're like, it's not Jesus alone, but it's Jesus in circumcision. It's Jesus in the works. It's Jesus in obeying the law perfectly. It's Jesus in religion. And Paul says in Galatians 3, 3, you foolish Galatians, were you saved by works of the law? No, you were saved by the Spirit. So you would be foolish to think that now you have to keep the works of the law to maintain your salvation. He says it's dumb. It's like somebody who pays full price for a model 
Because that's what we're going to see in our passage today. That the law is a shadow. It is a, a model of only what Jesus could do. It is not the real thing. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 18. And the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us, as we've been saying through this whole series, Jesus is better, and he is the better sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the commandment that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. If you'll join me as we open in prayer. Father God, we just come before you. And God, even though we're in a season of thanksgiving right now, God, may we always come before you and offer thanks. Thanks for who you are, for the love that you have for us, for what you have done and are continuing to do in our lives. God, we say thank you. God, we pray that as we open up your word now, as we've read it and now we, we just dive in, God, may we see that Jesus is better, that we give him everything, that we surrender all things over to you through this. So God, draw us near to you and help us fix our eyes on you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So whenever you look at like all the different religions, which there are a lot of them as I look them up, all the different religions, there's really one thing that separates Christianity from them all. I mean, there's a lot of things, but there was this one uh, just really bold, outspoken, like loud message in Christianity that is not in any of the others. And that is that Christianity is not based on your works, but based on the works of Jesus. All other religions there's a basis of what you have to do. I, I have a list of them. Zoroastrianism, 
The person has to win the struggle over evil. So if you want to reach heaven or that higher enlightenment or whatever it be, you have to constantly win the fight over evil. Judaism, you have to obey the Jewish law and customs. Islam, the Muslims, they must practice the five pillars successfully. And even after that, they really cannot guarantee you they're going to heaven unless they really pull out the jihad, the the holy war. They give their life in that. Hinduism, the individual must purify himself from evil and life after life after life. And if you don't, you come back as a cricket. Sheikhism, proper worship and conduct must be performed in order to be worthy to be saved. Confucianism, heaven on earth is possible, but only through personal conformity to the rules of society. Shintoism, you must maintain Japanese supremacy at all costs. Buddhism, you must renounce self in order to reach nirvana. Taoism, you must maintain yin-yang balance, otherwise there's no harmony. Paganism, you must appease the gods and spirits in order to be rewarded. Atheism, even, there is a compliance to a system or a philosophy. You must be in compliant to be happy or practice total non-compliance in order to be free. So you're either going to be an anarchist, breaking all the rules, or keep all the rules, but you've got to deal with the rules either way. Whereas Christianity says you just surrender to the work of Jesus and you will be set free. That is not based on what you do, but it's based on what Jesus has done. I mean, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 tells us that. For by grace you have been saved. This is not based on your works. It is the free gift of God so that no one can boast. It's not on what you do. But here's the thing. We know that. I mean, a majority of us in here would say, yes, it is based on what Jesus has done. That, yes, his, his work on the cross, that is how I am saved. But yet so many of us still strive We still fight. We still struggle. We still push for our own personal accolades. I read an author. He said it this way. He said, what is it about us that we have to try and find another way? It seems as if God said, here's salvation. You can simply have it by blinking. We try to enter an eternal staring contest. It's not that we don't like God's way. It's that we want everything our way. We want it our way. It's like we want to customize the salvation plan. God says simply, hey, give your life over to me. And we're like, no, that's not good enough. I want to earn a name for myself. I want to earn a bigger income for myself, a bigger uh, economy, or not economy, but a bigger kingdom for myself. I want it to be about me. Notice he ended that with the hashtag pride. Because pride gets in the way, because pride does not want to surrender. Pride wants to make us kings and queens of our own lives. And it's just surrender. Give it all over to God. You see, the sacrifice has been made by God, but we want to hold on to our own accolades, our own achievements. But to God, they don't matter. It's not like anybody is going to get up to heaven. It's like a, the, there's a joke about St. Peter standing at the gates of heaven, and this man who's a multimillionaire stores it all in gold. He gets to bring it to the gates of heaven. He's like, hey, Peter, look at all I brought. And Peter says, why'd you bring pavement? Like, that's what our accolades are going to be. 
Like, hey, God, here, look at everything I brought. I, I was popular, God. I had like over a thousand followers on social media. God, I had over uh, 10 years of being able to live on my 401k, whatever it's called. God, I had a big house. I had a lot of friends. God, I had all of this. Here's a question for you. How much of what you spend striving in life for actually has eternal value? That bigger 401k? That, that bigger following? That bigger influence? The bigger house, the nicer car, the more money, the more toys, whatever it is. How much of that, which is what we spend 40 plus hours a week striving after, how much of that has an eternal value? Honestly, nothing in this life has a value unless it is for eternal purposes. The person who is surrendering everything, Mother Teresa, great example of this, said, you know what? I'm not even going to take money. I'm going to live among the poor because I want to show them the love of God has far more an impact than our big American homes, our big American retirements, bank accounts, cars, whatever it is, because those are all going to rot and waste away. Jesus tells us, don't store your treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but instead store your treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust can destroy and where neither thieves can break in and steal because where your heart is, there your treasure will be as well. And so don't allow these things to pull us away. But yet we do, especially around Christmas time. Black Friday deals. Ooh, that's what I need. We don't need that. What if you did not receive a single gift this year? But instead you said, hey, we're going to spend all that money and we're going to give it away. And it's like, oh no, I really want that. Which is going to have the eternal value to it? You see, if we're going to try and earn our salvation, if you're going to try and say, it's based on what I do, you're going to get left exhausted. Just read Romans chapter 7, verse like 18 through 23. It's an exhausting read. As Paul talks about the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing, but the thing I want to do, I don't do, and I have no idea why this is going on, and it's exhausting. It's going to leave us stressed out. And yet, that's what we do. I mean, again, imagine going to a car dealer, saying, hey, I came to buy a Nissan GTR, and they gave you this. And you'd be like, that's not what I want. I want the real deal. And yet, so often, we're settling for a model. We're settling for our own works-based salvation, and God is like, that's not what it is. I'm the real deal. You want salvation? It is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And so we have to surrender over to that. And that's what the law is pointing to. The law is pointing to the fact that salvation cannot be found in yourself. Because again, we ask this question every now and then, who's perfect? Jesus alone. Nobody in here is able to keep the law. Even if you think, well, from this moment on, I can. That's pride, and you've fallen short of the law. 
Nobody can keep the law perfectly. The law showed us that is not based on our sacrifices. That is not based on what we do. It's only based on what we need somebody else to do for us. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what our text talks about. And so we're going to see kind of two things. One has a subpoint about the law and more about how Jesus is better, how he is the better sacrifice. And the first thing we're going to see in the passage today is that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus gave, it's perfect. It fulfilled everything we needed it to fulfill. The text told us in the first four verses that the law could never do what Jesus can do. Verse 10, or verse 1 of chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is instead a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see, every year, the Jews had what was called the Day of Atonement where there was a sacrifice made to atone for the sins of the people. But every year, that day reminded them of something. They couldn't be right with God. That even this sacrifice, it was not making them right with God. They could be ceremonially clean, but as we talked about last week, their hearts could never be cleansed by it. And so every year they are reminded we cannot on our own, even through this blood sacrifice, be made right with God. They could draw near all they wanted, but there was still that gap between them. They could not enter the holy of holies. They could not enter into the direct presence of God. You want proof of that? It said it right there. Otherwise, if it did, they would not have to offer it every year. Otherwise, they would not have that consciousness of sins. They would not need to continually go and offer it. I read this quote this week, and it said, The blood of animals cannot cleanse from sin because it is non-moral. It's not human. The blood of sinning man cannot cleanse because it is immoral. The blood of Christ alone can cleanse because it is perfectly moral. It is what we needed, and only Jesus can fulfill that. Only he could perform that sacrifice, and his is perfect. Ours is imperfect, over and over. Imperfect sacrifice. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice. It said there in uh, those first four verses that those could cover sins, but they could not cleanse sin. That blood might cover over something, but the sin is still there. It did not remove it. Whereas the perfect sacrifice of Jesus removes our sin. And that's the second, the subpoint. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect, but it's also perfecting. The sacrifice that Jesus made now makes me perfect. Not in a sin is not present in my life, but in a, I am now perfect before God. That when he looks at me, he does not see my sin. 
because the blood of Jesus removed my sin from me. That when you are saved, God does not look at you like the world looks at you because the world wants to look at you and define you by your worst sin ever. They're an adulterer. They're a cheat. They're a liar, murderer, thief, whatever you want to call it. The world wants to define you by that. I mean, we're really quick to do it. Hey, have you heard about Joe? Yeah, you know, he's not really faithful. I wouldn't trust him very much. He lies a lot. Yeah, you better be careful around him. He stole from me the other day. You know, we want to identify them by their worst sin. You know what he did when he was 12? My word. God doesn't do that. God's not up there like, man, you know what Andy did when he was 20? Man, I can't believe that. He is still that same lustful person. But instead, what God does is he looks at us and he says, that, that, that's my child. I love you and don't you dare bring any offense against him because he has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and therefore he is perfect. Not a perfect being, but in perfect relation with God. That we can be perfect before God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It said, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law will never, your achievements will never make you perfect before God. I don't care how much you do make whatever it is. It will never, you will never be able to hold that before God and be like, God, look at this. And he'll be like, why'd you bring me that? What I wanted was your heart. Verse 5. Consequently, on the other hand, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offering and sin offerings and have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. This he does away with the first in order to establish a second. And by that will, by Jesus doing God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have been set apart, made holy. Peter says you are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a nation set apart. That is who we become by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So here he uses two different words, being sanctified, which is the removal of sin from our lives. So as you give your life over to Jesus, day after day, as you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, God's doing a work in you. You know, maybe you were an alcoholic, and as day after day you surrender your life over to Jesus, the desire for alcohol fades away as you desire Jesus more. But does that mean that desire is going to be gone permanently? For some people, yes. Others, no. Paul tells us in Romans 7, it's a process of being sanctified because even Paul's like, I keep doing what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Who's going to save me? Jesus ultimately will save me. He has saved me. Sanctification is a process. But then he also says, you're already perfect. So in this life, we're not perfect. But again, before God, we're perfect. He sees us as perfect 
not through rose-colored glasses, but through the blood of Jesus. He sees that the sacrifice of Jesus has made us perfect. And so when Jesus' blood covers us, we are seen as perfect before God. And therefore, the result of that is direct relationship with God. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know that, that they may know you, Jesus praying for us, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The only way we're able to do that is through Jesus, through the sacrifice that he made. That we can now, as Hebrews tells us multiple times, I'd, I'd love for you to read through Hebrews again and circle every time it says, draw, let us draw near with confidence, with assurance saying this is how you can be sure that you can stand before God perfectly because of what Jesus did. Not because of your works. That's always going to leave doubt. But because of the work of Jesus. And that takes us to our last point. It's permanent. It's not, well, was that good enough yesterday but not today? Does Jesus need to die on the cross for my sins today because of what I committed yesterday? No. His sacrifice is permanent. Last section of verse 10. He came and sacrificed his life once for all. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. It is not a continual sacrifice. The priests had to continually offer sacrifices. If you want it to be based on your works, you're going to have to continually work for it. But the blood of Jesus covers you once and for all. All sins past, present, and all sins future, his blood covers you. This means that Jesus' sacrifice is complete. Verse 11 told us that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That priest, when he's offering those sacrifices, does not get to sit down. But he has to stand, do this over here, come over here, do this, take care of this, constantly standing, constantly striving, constantly moving. But notice what it says about Jesus. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice— for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. He then adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. See the posture of Jesus? He's not standing. He's sitting because the work has been done. When Jesus said, it is finished, that had, man, so many meanings to it as I've been looking through that. So many meanings. It meant that his one literal life on this earth was finished. It meant the Old Testament law was finished. That it's no longer based on that. It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus. It meant that his work on earth, his perfect life was finished. And so therefore we could have relationship with God. And it meant that his sacrifice in our place 
was finished so that we could have that relationship with God. No longer based on the law, but based on who he is. The veil was torn top to bottom because we could now enter into the Holy of Holies. We could with confidence approach the throne of grace. You see, Jesus didn't just offer a sacrifice. He offered his body. He gave his life. That's what makes it permanent. Because it was the perfect sacrifice. It was received by God as the perfect sacrifice so that we no longer strive. And it is a lasting sacrifice that covers all our sins. So that, again, for those, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you can know that you are in right relationship with God. Yeah, but what about that image that I looked at yesterday? Jesus' blood covers that. Well, what about that hatred that I had in my heart towards that coworker? Jesus' blood covers that. What about those thoughts that I thought, that word that I said, that thing that I stole? What about those sins, those horrendous? God never let them be played in life again. What about those? Jesus' blood covers them. Remember in Hebrews, it says that he saves us to the uttermost like completely, 100%. It is not like Jesus saved us 90% and then y'all better get your act together for that final 10. It is like Jesus knowing that you are sinners, that you, when you were enemies of Christ, when you were enemies of God, Jesus died for you. And his blood covers over you. If you receive it, that is the one role that you have to play in this that you receive it, that you place your faith in him. Because if not, then it doesn't cover you. But he gives access for it. Knowing that it's the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us right with God. I mean, when you have that in mind, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Then confidently go before God. Approach the throne of grace. You know, the, the Israelites, the Jews, every year, they had to be reminded of their sin. What if every week we came up here and we had a highlight reel of your sins throughout the week? Everybody's like literally praying, God, no. Don't let that happen. And we don't. Because we don't believe in that. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, it told us, it said... In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every year, the Jews came, and they were reminded, we can never be made right with God. There is absolutely nothing I can do to be made right with God. But you see, we, living in the new covenant, get to celebrate something so much greater. Every week, we come together. And we don't get reminded of our sins. We get reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why every single week we come together and we take communion. And that's why I thought, man, perfect to end this service with communion. So that you can be reminded it's not based on what you do. It's based on the work of Jesus. And so Kurt and Hannah, they have a special that they've prepared for us. And, and during this song, we're, we're going to leave communion open. I want to explain this as clearly as I can. 
pray during this song. Read Isaiah 53 if you want during this song. And at any time during this song that you are ready to take communion, you have the bread, you have the juice, take it on your own during this song. They're going to sing, we've created this time for you to pray, talk to God, remember, confidently approach the throne of grace. And then as, you, as you're ready on your own during this song, take the juice, which is the blood of the new covenant. Take the bread, which is Jesus' body broken for you. It's the sacrifice that he did. So I encourage you, Isaiah 53, spend time in prayer, meditate on the words of this song, and as you are ready, take communion and then spend time with God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed we are healed by your sacrifice and the life that you gave we are healed transgressions and crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds by his wounds what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood pray for us. God, we just thank you so much for that sacrifice that you gave us. God, knowing that there wasn't another possibility, it was the only and it was the perfect sacrifice for us. And we can't help but, especially in this time when we give so much thanks, God, for thanking you specifically for that, for Jesus and for the life that he gave for us, as we remember every week and we thank you for it, God just for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. And this morning, if you haven't placed your life in Christ's hands, I would encourage you to do so. We're going to play a song, um, a hymn of invitation, as we do each week, and it's number 478.